Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. sunshine streaming in here this morning. Well, hey guys. I see it's going gonna, it's gonna to be right in my eye. Go to the, no, no, no. Oh, good. <coughs> um, what a joy it is to see you all here this morning. And as you might see, um, today is the 1st of December Today is the start of our Christmas series. Now, I'm going to safely assume that we are all divided into two types of people. It's the 1st of December. Either you have finished your Christmas shopping or you have not started your Christmas shopping. I'm Seriously, people are divided between the two extremes. And I, I'm obviously not going to comment on which is better. All I'm going to say is why do we have Christmas Eve if not to um, get that shopping done? But, you know, each, each to their own, each to their own. But it is the 1st of December, so we're starting our Christmas series. And um, we're going to be looking, as it says, at the message of the angels. So leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ, um, there's a few different visits from angels in that time. And we're going to be looking at them and what they say to us. We're going to be starting this morning with um, Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 5 to 25. And this is the angel Gabriel visiting a priest called Zechariah. So, I'll start by just reading. So, Luke 1, verse 5 to 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because, Jesus, uh, because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will joy at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. 
And Zachariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. I'm going to pray. Yeah, Lord, we thank you so much for the magnificent wonder of your word to us, Father. Lord, we pray that as we read these words, they may not be familiar to us, God. But we pray, Lord, that you may open our hearts, open our eyes, Lord. We may be together on a quest for truth this morning. Lord, show us who we are, God, and show us who you are, O oh God, this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Right. So I imagine we all can kind of sympathize with that feeling when, you, when you've been growing up. Um, you, you kind of think about, you know, the one big day in your life. Um, it may be, um, for those, maybe, maybe like Owen Among Us, you thought, oh, I'm going to have the England football shirt on me one day, and I'm going to be playing football for England, and there'll be a moment when I go on that field and I score that goal. Or maybe you thought about a sold-out crowd in Wembley Stadium growing up. I, you know, I was a Spice Girl fan, so I would have been sixth. Um, sold out crowd or maybe that achievement, that position, that moment in your life that as a young person usually you, you think about. Well, that would have been no different for our priest Zechariah here. He was a priestly man. He grew up in a priestly family. And a, a day comes in his life, which is the most important day of his life. And it, it's not, not just a day, the most important moment of his life. And we're going to look at why that is and what that was. Now, before we get to that point, we, we can see that Luke starts in verse 5 saying, look, I'm going to tell you about that um, of this account that I've promised to give you, as he explains in verses 1 to 4. And it's an unfolding of this story about these two children that will be born, one, the forerunner, second to the Messiah who's coming. And we're looking at a time here since the close of the Old Testament, so if you're familiar with your Bibles, we've got the Old Testament and then we've got the New Testament. And the Old Testament has ended with the book of Malachi. And we're starting again with Luke, one of the earlier Gospels. And in there's a time period between the Old Testament and the New Testament of around, I think, 300 years. And that's a time period since Malachi where God's prophetic voice, God's voice has not been heard. 
We've got 300 years of silence. And now Luke here is reminding us that from under this stage of human history, he is raising up his choice servant to be the forerunner to the Christ, to be to the Messiah, the person who has promised throughout this Old Testament to come, a king who will come and save his people. And Luke is introducing us to the forerunner to the Christ, the forerunner to the Messiah to come. And you might think it's strange, Luke, why he, the only one of the four Gospels, does he start not with the birth of Christ, not with the birth of our our King and our Saviour, all these generations promised to us. No, he starts with the story of the birth of John the Baptist. Why? Well, let's look a bit at Luke. Who's Luke? Who is this guy? Luke is interestingly not a Jew. He's a Greek. He's a doctor. He's probably travelling around along with Paul. So we can tell probably he's, he's an educated guy, um, probably kind of like an intellectual. I, I'm envisioning Luke. He's, I feel like he likes stationery. He likes things to have its place. I feel like he might iron his socks and pants. You know, do you know what I mean? That kind of person. And Luke is not the sort of person to go along with the hype. It, it, you know, Jesus is the new name that's been spread around as a possible Messiah. He, Luke is the sort of person who wants to look into things himself um, and think for things himself. He doesn't just go along things for the sake of it. And again, if we look at the context, these Gospels are written not long after Jesus has lived and died, as we know, then goes up to heaven. But at that time, you've got these people, as I said, the Jewish people, expectant of their Messiah. And there's been this man called Jesus, quite a poor teacher. Before that, he was a carpenter. He's caused a lot of controversy, and then he's been killed for that controversy. And for us, we probably think back, and it's, it's hard to think that Jesus, you know, he was a human, that he, he walked and he slept and he hang out with his friends. But that time... Um, as Luke is writing, um, many people just didn't think that this Jesus was in fact the promised Messiah to them. So Luke goes and he thinks, okay, I'm going to gather up all the eyewitness accounts. I'm going to look at um, the evidence and what's there. And he um, is writing uh, to this guy, Theophilus. Every time I put down my Bible, it comes to the point where I need to pick it up again. So let's have a look. Chapter 1. Verses 1 to 4. Insomuch as uh, as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." Clearly, Theophilus is an important person, most excellent. So um, I quite like that as an introduction. Um, He's clearly a very important person. What's Luke saying here? He's saying, look, I I have researched this well. I've got together an accurate and detailed account to show you the life of Jesus. I'm going to show you that, in fact, in reading the facts, that in this person, Jesus, was in fact God. He was, in fact, the promised Messiah to the Jews that you've been waiting for about things that have been fulfilled among us. 
he's saying this is not, you know, just go along with the go along with the hype, the things you've hit, the latest things you're hearing, or take a blind leap of faith. Luke is saying very clearly and simply, I've looked at it all and I'm outlining it. If you look at the facts, you will know for sure that in fact this person was the Messiah. And I can say that's incredibly encouraging for us in our faith, that we, it's not something we take just a blind leap of faith that um, we hope to, that it's going to be right, that in fact, um, you, we can be persuaded just by looking simply and clearly at these things, and in fact, it speaks for itself. And why tell this to this guy? Well, Luke is saying this is an, an important count for you as an individual to hear. And similarly, we can take it that this is important good news for us to hear as well. What happened was completely foretold before it happened. It was completely impossible humanly. He really lived. Jesus really was human, and Jesus was really God. And he came for us. The good news is for us to be told to us. So... Let's look at then this message, and we've, we've got a few characters here, and we're going to look firstly at the king, then the priest, and then we're going to look at this angel. So firstly, this king. Well, in verse 5, we hear that this was at a time of King Herod. And again, I quite like Luke. I, I quite like his approach with things. He is, you know, he's looking at things very logically, very clearly. And, and another thing that the, this guy Luke does for us, he intersects the, in, the biblical truth along with secular history, slightly unlike the other Gospels. And again, some of us might be tempted to sometimes think, you know, this, this Bible that is uh, such of spiritual importance to us, I mean, did these things really happen in actual history of the world? And Luke very clearly says, yes, yes, it is, because he outlines it perfectly in relation to exactly what's happened. So his narrative is set around 37 to four years before Christ came. And in fact, his gospel record is amplified in other non-Christian historians. And actually, these other historians tell us a little bit about what this King Herod is like. King Herod, he was a competent king, okay? He had really good military strength. He was very strategic, very good king in that respect, clever guy. Unfortunately, this king was also a bit of a control freak, so, you know, he built lots of structures over Jerusalem, did lots of kind of building the strength of this um, place. But this um, King Herod, and I should say as well, he's a, a Roman king, so we've got the Jews now living under this Roman rule. So he is considered the king of the Jews, the King Herod, even though he's not Jew. But he is, as I said, very good king, but he's um, extremely paranoid. He's ex- clinging on to his power like anything else. And again, if you're, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you might know that later on, he actually orders all the deaths of the baby boys. So paranoid as he starts to hear that this new king of the Jews has been born. Before this point, though, he go, he's actually killed his brother-in-law, He's murdered his wife because she was suspected of infidelity, but mostly was worried about a different um, heir to the throne. And he's, in fact, murdered three of his own sons. So this is the level of cruel, jealous, destructive 
ruler we have in power at this time. These Jewish people, they're not just living under the Roman rule at that time. They are, they are living under an awful, just chaotic, evil ruler. But you know what? God was still at work. Not only were these Jewish people under the oppression of this other um, country, under the oppression of this awful ruler, but as I said, since the time of Malachi, 300 years, they had not heard a thing from their God. But God was still at work. It would have been tempting for the Jewish people at this time to say, you know what, we're lost, we're trapped under this oppression, we are alone, we can't hear God. But God was still at work. He had always been at work, and he is always at work. And obviously now we come to the the end of that silence with this insignificant, elderly, childless couple. Why on earth does the start of the story of the saviour of the world start with this couple? And I want us to pause here because I recognise that maybe this morning people feel lost, people feel trapped, people feel alone. You may feel oppressed by a person in your life or circumstances in your life. You may feel entirely insignificant and you have not heard God, but God is in fact at work. He always is. God has this way of working in the most unexpected ways with the most unexpected people. And my mom, when I'm endlessly complaining to her, loves to say to me, God often does his best work in the most unlikely of situations. And in fact, God often works in the most unlikely ways with the most unlikely people to bring about his divine plans. Nothing Herod did was unexpected to God. Nothing Herod could do could throw off the divine plans of God. Now, I know no one's saying anything, but I can hear, I can hear what's going on here. He's saying, Hannah, Hannah, Hannah. Sweet, naive Hannah. <laughs> you have no idea the circumstances of my life. You have no idea the amount of times I have cried out to God and I have heard nothing. Well, this is why we get these stories. Because if God, in 300 years of silence and under this kind of oppression, is working out the most incredible divine plans, we can be encouraged that he is in work, whatever situation you are in. However long it feels like you have heard him, he is at work. In all the politics that were going on at the time, all the scandals of whatever Herod was doing, God was in the process of bringing down the lofty and he was raising up the humble. And in fact, the Israelite people, they had this bad habit of looking out for the Messiah, the king that was coming. They looked out at rulers, they were looking at military figures, monarchies for their king. And what we see is that they were looking the completely wrong way. So our unlikely couple, the priest priest called Zechariah, he we know, not a huge amount, but he was from the hill country. He was one of a large number of the priestly individuals at that time, 
And in terms of being a priest, it's not like a full-time job. He probably was quite poor. Um, he would have had his full-time job, but when he, the time came, he would serve at the temple for two one-week periods a year. So Zechariah, he, we know what he's not. He is not leading a booming, inner-city, multi-site church. This is not our Zechariah. And in terms of serving at the temple to do the incense. This is not like being at a Rotoran church. This is not, who's on the incense this week? Let's just have a look at that uh, rotor we've got. No, no, no. He was one member of 24 divisions. So that's one of approximately 18,000 priests at that time. Now, this couple were deemed righteous before God. They were serving God faithfully, and yet it specifically says they were childless. Now, that's not just disappointing for them, but at that time, that would have been quite a shameful thing. But it makes clear that this childlessness is no sort of punishment by God at all. Now, they're righteous, but that did not mean that they were perfect. We know this by Zechariah's um, reaction later on after this angel, and he has complete doubt and has been silenced. But they are faithful people, they are praying people, and they are well on in years. And again, this specifically makes this point because it means we know that they as a couple had no expectation now of having a child. They are later on in years, they haven't had children, they're never going to have children. That's a circumstance that they are um, confident is not going to change. So Zechariah, one of 18,000 priests, and only selected by lot, and that means like a literal just lottery you know, name out the hat situation, because they had so many extra priests, they all couldn't do it, so you just have to be picked out by lot. So one of 18,000 people, um, we know that God was sovereign at this time. This was not the work of humans, this was the work of God. Even here, in all the tasks you're doing as a priest, none were greater than offering the incense. And it's probably hard for us to think about now, you know, how this all works. But let me say this. A priest only officiated at the, at the sacrifice once in his life. So if you did this process of giving the incense, uh, you were picked by lot, that would, you would never be able to do it again. So significant was this. Many priests, we know, would never have had this moment in their life that Zechariah had of giving in the incense. Most people, it just wouldn't happen to. God was sovereign in this moment. So Zechariah, he's at the temple. This is the center of the Israelite religious life. And I think we might have, I think I've got a picture of the temple here, try and get, you know, to picture the scene. So we have Zechariah having the task of burning the incense. He would have gone towards the golden altar. Do a little jump. This is... In there, we've got the holy place behind the big curtain, and that little thing just in front of it, the person, it's the golden altar. Got in there with two assistants. Um, They would have had the place, the hot coals that would have been burnt from the offerings earlier. They would have put them down, and then the two assistants leave. We now just have the priest there, as close to the presence of God, which is behind that curtain, as anyone might ever get aside to a high priest in all of their lives. This is a dramatic 
moment. This is the moment, Zechariah. I mean, he, would know, he, as a, he wouldn't even know that he would necessarily even ever get this moment because of the amount of people, because of the lot. The anticipation as the assistants left must have been building. He would then have put the incense down on the hot coals and the aroma would just fill the temple and it would be this symbolism of prayers being offered up to God. So it's an incredible moment for him. And, you, you know, you wouldn't really, unless we knew what was happening, you would think that's the pinnacle. That's what, as, he, as far as he's concerned, that's the pinnacle. Lo and behold, an angel comes. So the angel. No description, far too terrifying. These people, these angels are just scary. He was startled and afraid. And I know we all read this and we think, ah, every time it's do not fear, they're terrified. You think, oh, 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 oh. I'd be like, hey, Gabriel. But no, no, no. Terrifying. We would be paralyzed in fear. God, in his kindness, finds a way to come speak to us. Despite his awesomeness and his holiness, he finds a way to come and speak to us. Now, Gabriel says at this point, your prayer has been answered. So Zechariah is offered the incense. He's offered a prayer. Boom, angel comes, prayer answered. Um, and I'm half tempted to put up hands of people who think, was he praying for a son? Well, I say no. He's in this moment, number one, of this incredible experience of being chosen to go on behalf of Israel to this place. He, I'm going to put money on, was praying for the salvation of Israel. That was his position. That's what his role was to do. And secondly, he's an old man. He doesn't, he's not having children now. He's not even thinking about that. He, his, answer, his prayer has been answered. His prayer for Israel, he's crying out, Lord, you know, sight with us, speak to us, save us, send us your Messiah. And Gabriel comes and says, your prayer has been answered. Now, what's this, what is this? Okay, he's saying Elizabeth will have a son. I mean... That's going to be pretty staggering for him. Um, I mean, he thought it was great just doing the incense. Um, the, the angel continues, you know, the, this child's going to bring you joy. Okay, I get that. I think having children probably brings you joy. I, I think we can hopefully expect that. It's going to bring joy, though, this child, to others. This child will be great in the sight of the Lord. Whoa, 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 whoa. Great in the sight of the Lord. How the heck is someone, I mean, the description, you're going to be, the, God is going to look at this person and say, this person is great. I mean, how do we judge people as great? You know, I, you know the, the confident person, the intellectual person, the successful person, the person who's got that position in life, you think they are popular person, they are great, love that person, being around them. All these things we think, you know, when we think of what is a great person in our eyes, and we think God is describing someone as great. How does God see greatness? Well, God has everything. God owns everything. What is impressive to God? What could a person bring to God or do to God to be great in the eyes of God? Jesus himself later, so once John the Baptist is born, Jesus is later born, and they 
um, living at the same time, Jesus describes John the Baptist as um, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So affirming this, um, what's been said by the angel. And again, just, we don't know, again, huge amount necessarily of John the Baptist, but if you've read about him, he's not like, he's a bit bohemian in all honesty. He's not, he's not like preppy in any way. In t- this person that Andrew's describing it is going to be great. It doesn't really live up to the expectation that necessarily we're thinking right now. Um, but this, they say, is going to be the forerunner to the Messiah and will be great. I'm going to be so bold as to suggest what makes you great before the Lord, what made John the Baptist great before our Saviour, and it was his humility. When people started asking John the Baptist, what do you have, what do you have to say, who are you? What do you have to say about yourself? He's saying all these strange things. Are you Elijah? No. Are you one of the prophets? Nope. Are you, are you the one who's, who's to come? No, sir, that's not me. John, we've got a big pastor's conference coming up. We need to put the booklet together. I need some sort of description to work with. We want it to sell out. Like, come on, help us here. He says, I am a light shining, and I am a finger that points to the Lord. That is greatness. I am nothing. He is everything. I have no voice unless he gives it to me. Now, on the whole, I, I think I know we, you know, we're Christians and we believe these things, but I like to offer a good 20 or 30% to things. Do you know what I mean? John had a very specific role. His, the, the purpose of his life, the entirety of his life, was to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah, to wholly point them to something and someone greater. Who else could do that role other than someone who is humble? That's the one who's great before God, not on their CV or popularity. So how does Gabriel say that John will do this? Well, he's not going to get his strength or inspiration from earthly stimulants like wine and fermented drink, but from the Holy Spirit. His special consecrated service to the Lord will see many turned back to God. John is described to be the voice of one calling out in the desert. And this, again, it's strange for the people to be hearing this at the time. These are the Jewish people. These are God's chosen people. Why does God's chosen people need to be prepared to meet their God? Well, this is John's message that is coming. It's not simply enough to ethnically be a Jew. You, as individuals, need to repent and return to your God. And this person, this forerunner to Christ, is outlined in the Old Testament. So it's all, we we knew it was going to be a forerunner, and it said, and in fact, and just how it just comes together beautifully. On the last page of the Old Testament, in the last book, in the last chapter, in the last verse we have in Malachi, and he will turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come strike the earth with a curse. And obviously we see in the, um, in, 
in what Gabriel saying right here, the turning back, the bringing back, the making the people ready. So we, literally the last thing said in the Old Testament, silence, and we've got boom. Gabriel saying, it's happening, it's happening now. This is the person. These promises of God that we've been waiting for. And, and what else about John? Well, he's going to be marked out with the prophetic boldness of Elijah. And again, interesting thing here, we can, when looking back at Malachi, there was real problems in families, in marriages, in relationships. There was real breakdown and confusion of what was going on. And we see here that one of the things that will be accomplished through John's ministry is, is seeing the hearts of parents to children. We're going to see a restoration. It's as a, a result of the turning back of these hearts that we can see there's a direct consequence of the restoration of harmony of family. And then, of course, we have the amazing <laughs> reaction of um, Zechariah. But I'm an old man! Um, but I, what I love is that uh, uh, Gabriel, he, he's like, well, I see your old man response. I am an old man. And I raise you angel. <laughs> Where does he say? Uh, let me find it. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And it's kind of, I don't know if you've ever had it. You know, if you haven't seen someone in ages or something, and they... Um, and they come to visit and they or something, and then you just can't really, be bo- you know, you've got plans, and you just think, ah, oh, I just can't be bothered, let's not do anything. And they're like, I have come all this way. <laughs> I can see it, Gabriel was like, I was in the presence of God, and I have come here to talk to you. <sighs> Drops mic. So, some observations on what we have read. The need to turn back to God, even as believer, as we've been looking at, um, the ministry of John, this prophetic word that comes through this angel, is preparing these people, calling them to come back to God, God's own chosen people. There's no question about them being these people, worked out through Abraham, these are God's chosen people. But they needed to be brought back to God. They needed to have their own conversion to God. The fact they were part of Orthodox Judaism um, didn't mean that they were in touch with the living God. And that can be true in ways for us too. Uh, it's a great challenge of, you know, the Christianity today in our, maybe in our ease and our comfortableness to not just sit, to listen, to hear the words. We can listen to all the podcasts in the world, have those great conversations of people debating the Bible. But it's about hearts turning back to their God. You are not converted by making it to church. And I mean, sometimes it feels like that is a great achievement, just getting here. But in fact, that does nothing in relation to that conversion. You're not converted by a religious person at some point doing something religious to you or in a religious ceremony. It's only by crying out for forgiveness and for his mercy, which is so readily available for those that do. And secondly, God working, works the impossible in the lives 
of the ordinary. The Bible is full of ordinary people. Uh, we can, he has just this habit of using um, the, the righteous and the great, and I use that purposefully, the righteous and the great, the humble. What we see here, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are people that in their situation, they could not help themselves. That They were old in age. They were living their ordinary lives, and there's not much else they could do about it. An elderly, childless couple who give birth to the forerunner of Christ. The gospel we see later is Jesus coming for the sick, for the needy, those who see him for who he is and that they need, have their need that they can't do anything about. But then their lives are completely and utterly transformed by the power of this new good news. And that, again, is the same for us today. So, um, if I can ask the band to come up, respond with a, with a song. And um, you just think about those things, whether it be that you feel like you're in that silence from God, you feel that there is a turning back to God, or just the encouragement that however insignificant you feel, that with the power of God, he does impossible things. So if you'd like to stand and I'll just pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can look at your word and see an account of all that you did, Father. It is perfection, Lord. Thank you, God, that you use the ordinary. Thank you, Lord, that nothing going on in this world can thwart your divine plans. Holy Spirit, may you just come now. Show us again who you are. Lift our eyes to you, God, to your plans, to your purposes. You are Messiah. Lord, make us someone who points to you, Father build our faith, Lord, as we amaze at what you've done, Father. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.